How do you podcast again? Am, are, do, am I supposed to talk with you? I'm pretty sure there are things we need to say at the beginning of every, every oh, at, at the beginning every time we us dimwits. Us dimwits, you're right. Gosh, man, <laughs> I've been taking too long of a break that I can't even read big text. <laughs> hey everyone, this is Layer by Layer, a cubing podcast ostensibly with uh, two people. Hi, I am one people. I am the other people. Perfect. Um, we have a subreddit, r layer by layer. Dude, is that how you say subreddits? I forget. Yeah, it's close enough. Yeah, we it's layer by layer subreddit. We like our we like our subreddit. It's got fun comments and feedback, and we really like reading your feedback and responding to your feedback. So that's right. Yeah. So if you want to go check that out and hang out and tell us stuff, you totally should. And let's do it. So how are you doing, Andrew? I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing? Um, a little more tired than I thought I'd be, but you know, otherwise, uh, it's it's been good times. Spent a lot of good times. Last time we tried to record this, you've mentioned that you had like a weird sleep schedule and stuff, so it was hard to make find a time that worked for both of us. <laughs> um, what's going on with your sleep schedule, man? All right, so I've literally been traveling like the past three weeks, uh, mm-hmm. and I finally got back, and school starting next week, and life kind of finally feels normal again which is somewhat reassuring (laughs) so i left like at the end of august to go to um virginia where my dad lives uh to visit him and i also went to a competition in maryland while i was out there so that was then i we got back on labor day it was super late on labor day too so we basically had tuesday wednesday thursday in portland then friday we left again and i we did a a trip uh to yellowstone but we also did the first competition in montana before and the second competition in wyoming after wait you mean like first ever yeah it was the first ever montana competition oh really yeah nice uh so that was fun uh that venue is gorgeous uh, and mm-hmm. it makes me want to go back to Missoula to do <laughs> another competition there again. Um, oh, that's cool. That's where Hank Green is, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that was kind of the motivation was just because we wanted to, like, do a lot of the nerd fighter-esque things. Uh, oh, yeah. Like, uh, Michael Aranda, all the people he has come on always hike up to the M on Mount Sentinel. Um, nice, and nice. went to a few restaurants that we've seen in vlogs and stuff, so <laughs> it, it was kind of cute. It's... A pretty pretty happening city for only 70,000 people living there. But okay, I have to tell you about the weirdest small town that I've ever seen in my life. It's called Livingston, Montana. They should call this city truly the Windy City. Um, it's <laughs> at the bottom of the valley off of like the Yellowstone Mountain area. And Yellowstone, of course, has all this like thermal stuff. So there's a bit almost always like this high pressure that's created over Yellowstone because of all this thermal stuff that happens there. And whenever there's a low pressure, basically anywhere to the north of them, all of this air just comes shooting out of Yellowstone through this long valley. Like it, I, that apparently it was just a normal day, but the winds were insane there. And then, okay, this is not even that. Like this town has a population of 7,000. We were just trying to go find dinner, and you know, being out in the middle of nowhere, we've grown accustomed to, like, crap, we need to get to actually a place to eat dinner relatively early, because places close at, like, 8 or 9 here. It's stupid. And we found a place, though, in Livingston that closed at 10, and in fact, most of the places in Livingston closed at 10 or 11 or even midnight, which we were astounded by. And we get to this place, 
and um, the vibe of the restaurant, it was like kind of a counter-serve sort of thing, very quirky, Portland-esque sort of thing I'm kind of used to. There were literally people, though, with like three-foot spikes coming out of their hair, like people in strange costumes and just crazy get-ups. And I was just astounded, like, where am I? Did I fall into a portal and somehow make it back to Portland? Like, Was there some kind of event going on? Or no, was that I, just normal there? It was normal. I went up and asked them afterwards, like, is this a normal Saturday night for you? Like, do you <laughs> normally get this kind of business? They're like, yeah, this is, this is totally normal. Yeah, apparently Livingston, Montana is the weirdest, uh, craziest nightlife happening 7,000 person town in America. <laughs> like... That blew my mind how crazy and different that city was compared to everything around it. So, had a good burger there, and that was a fun experience. (laughs) The reason, though, going back to your original question, why I'm on a strange sleep schedule, to get out to Maryland or Virginia, that whole area, you know, you usually have to take a red-eye flight. And going into this trip, I was literally going to bed at like 4, 4.30 a.m. every night and taking a red-eye that left at 11 p.m. To me, it made sense. Screw it. I'm not even going to bother sleeping. Like, by the time I land, it's going to be my bedtime and I'm not even usually tired at my bedtime. So I just decided to stay awake the entire night. And with the exception of about a one-hour nap, when I got to Virginia, I stayed awake that entire day too. I see. So this, this, this is the second time you've you've reported doing this on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> my I I don't have a a, a normal sleeping <laughs> life, um, but yeah. So as a result, I actually got onto a standard person sleeping schedule. Okay. Like I was going to bed at nine or ten every night and waking up at like six or seven a.m. That's just where I landed after doing that whole thing. Um, and then when I got back to Portland, I continued doing that, especially considering, you know, I fell back three hours. I was going to bed even earlier than, bef- than before. Um, so it was really hard to, because that's not the greatest schedule for me, because I, once I start teaching again, I need to, my first class is like at noon, and my last one ends at 8.30 p.m., So not a great schedule for me to be on. So I finally have somehow managed to push it back to where I normally am. So I see. Yeah. So we tried to record this podcast before I left for Yellowstone, but uh, it didn't work out. Essentially, whenever you were ready to record, I was like, nope, I'm going to bed. Yeah. (laughs) And then like in the morning when you were ready to record, I was like, I'm too tired. Give me like an hour to wake up. And then, yeah, then you ended up getting stuck doing something else. So yeah, it was. Yep. 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 But we're here now. We are here now. And uh, yeah, so I know we've had a very nice schedule so far with a podcast every other week. And it was never intended to be that way. Right. But uh, it worked out that way until now. There's actually so. something I noticed. Um, hmm. The podcast app I use is called Overcast. They just released a new update. And one of the features of the new update is it like sort of adds an estimated upload schedule like thing for each podcast. Oh boy! So like for some podcasts it's like every Tuesday morning, for others it's every week. Um, for ours it said every other week, and I wonder what it's going to do now when this one comes out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll be interesting. Man, that's too yeah. much pressure. I don't want to. I don't want to feel like I have to do something every other week. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't live up to those expectations, especially when I'm literally in my home for 
like three out of like 20 days in a row (laughs) so oops uh do you want to get into follow-up yeah let's do it since our last podcast i started working a little bit more on the ideas that i sort of was loosely forming in the last episode about how to improve the kinch system and i've already told you about this idea that i've had yes but I just want to say it on the podcast. I know it's not a perfect idea, but I feel like it's worth throwing out there. Mm-hmm. So my ma- the, my main problem with Kinch is that it, the floor for each event really influences like in- influences the range of Kinch scores. So like for fewest moves, the worst possible score you can get for um, a mean is a thirty Kinch score, whereas for other events you can get very close to zero. So that's the m- main problem with fewest moves. Uh, mm-hmm. And then there's similar things for 7x7 seven because, seven, like, it's basically, like, the longer the event is, the higher the kinched floor is, kind of. Okay. See, we had this discussion a long time ago. Yes. And now as you're describing it to me, I now understand why I was so confused when you were talking to me because I understood <laughs> the floor as something different. Oh, okay. What were, what were you thinking of as the floor? It's a, effectively the same thing, like, after you do the transformation but i was thinking of the time floor oh okay so like the fact that you're we're probably never going to see a half a second three by three solve right that's below the the time floor and and that does that does translate to the kinch floor but it's not exactly the same well it's it's a bit different because you're talking about like the worst possible result and i'm talking about impossible results yes right so it's a little bit different, but yeah. they, they are, the, the fact that there is like this big gap affects the way the division works, which then affects the worst possible score in a way. So if you haven't heard our discussion on Kinch stuff, go listen to the last episode. Yeah. I'm summarize all of that again. <laughs> yeah. uh, but here, here's my idea to account for that floor. Okay. Is the event. Um, so first of all, you need to get rid of like the outlier, like way worst scores, you know, things that were set like 10 years ago or whatever that are basically irrelevant now so to account for that you want to just cut all those out by i don't know removing the bottom 10 percent of scores or something i don't know exactly what the amount would be but hopefully there'd be a decent way to come up with that number just to exclude outliers and that is one weakness of this system already that it has sort of an arbitrary cutoff point for that right yeah and that's we were discussing that i remember that now and then the idea is you do a linear transform of all of the kinch scores to make them fit the range of 0 to 100. So, say for fewest moves, you cut off that bottom 10% or whatever, and then the the worst kinch score that remains is like a 36 or something. Now, transform as if you're like, so if you have the whole range of kinch scores from 36 up to 100, mm-hmm. you stretch those out. Yep. So that the 36 becomes a zero, the 100 stays at 100, and everything else gets stretched, you know, the same amount. And that would make it so that for every event, you have a range from zero to 100, mm-hmm. and all of the relative distances are still the same. So, like, if there's a big gap between first and second place, that's only, that's even made a slightly bigger by doing the stretching thing. Um, but it's certainly not going to discount that like you would if you had, if you were sort of, like, um, making them fit a specific distribution, Mm-hmm. That can sort of make it so that, especially towards the top end, um, large differences in skill aren't necessarily as well recognized. Right. Whereas if, if you just do the simple linear transform, you get the same range for every event. So every event is weighted equally. And okay. you still have the same, like, relative differences. See, now I fo- now that you're actually, that we're actually talking about this rather than Facebook messaging about this, 
I totally mm-hmm. understand what you're saying now. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I actually like this a lot. I, I'm. It, it is a bit subjective about where you put that cutoff. Yeah, and the, the reason you need that cutoff, I should specify in case it's not clear, is like in the database, the WCA database, there's like a 524 move FMC solve before they yeah. added the regulation that cut it off at 80. And there's like a, I don't know, like 30 minute seven by seven solve or something. So you've got these like crazy bad results that aren't really even representative of like what a beginner would get. Yeah, it's not a great indicator. Yeah, basically any, if you're looking at the worst possible time that has so much variability because one person can greatly influence it. Right. Uh, yeah, so so that's why you need to cut off the bottom amount. So you ba- the basic idea is you want like a beginner level thing to get a score of zero. And then any increase in skill from there starts moving up the score. No, I think this is actually a really interesting idea. And I kind of want to try to calculate that now somehow. Yeah, I, I, you recommended like some software to me and I looked at it and I could not, I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah, well, um, now that I understand it more, I think I could probably do that. Okay, yeah, I'd be interested to see how it looks. Yeah, the way I understood it before, I was like, I'm not exactly sure how I understood this before, um, but it had something relative to do how I was thinking about the floor as the time floor rather than the kinch score floor. But now that I think about this as the kinch score floor, I think this is a lot easier to tackle. If Yeah, because if you make it like the time floor, then what you're kind of doing is changing what the best time is. Right. And also changing all the that yeah, and that gets really weird. Yeah, so and that's why just I, changing the, the range of Kinch scores. Yeah, and that's why I thought it was really subjective. Because I was like, no, oh, you're, yeah. you're making subjective decisions about every single event. But a subjective decision that like being you know, in the bottom ten percent of people makes you a beginner, I think is a fair thing to say. And, you know, this might not work very well. There might be some weird unintended consequences of doing this that uh I'm not really sure. But I'm curious to try to see what it would look like. Yeah, and maybe I don't I don't know if like the bottom 10% would be a good amount to do or maybe even a bigger amount than that just to make sure you really like get all of those outliers and old solves out of the way. And but then the thing is like if you cut out like the bottom 50%, then you're actually penalizing like the second place people even more cuz you're going to be stretching their solves back even more. So Right. But I mean, if you're only cutting off a small amount I mean, it, it really depends on the event. Like FMC, even if you cut off the bottom 5%, you're going to do quite a bit of stretching because like the, the bottom 5% is probably going to have a kinch score of like 35 or 40. Right. Which is yeah. going to do a lot of stretching. But FMC probably can afford to have a bit more space between the first and the second. So Yeah, I think it actually, uh, yeah, I think that would be appropriate. Yeah. So yeah, it, yeah, that that might be too much space. It might actually be helpful to get that spacing kind of just want to see how it works well after that um you know very mathematical follow-up subject we Mm -hmm. have another one which is the um dairy brand tillamook yeah so when are we doing (laughs) when are we doing that cheese podcast i'm down anytime you want i got some tillamook cheese this week oh it was so good isn't it the best? And and it was five cents cheaper than the cheese I normally get. But, and isn't it so much better? <laughs> it is. It's yeah. So it much tasted better. completely different. Like so, I got Colby Jack cheese, mm-hmm. and it just tasted so much different. Like it had some. Uh, I think it was a lot sharper of a flavor. Mm-hmm. But it was it was just so much more distinct and less just like bland. Yeah, it was just it was good. Another way that Tillamook has changed my life in terms of cheese, not, not this isn't really follow-up, this is just kind of a new t- thing, but okay. um, <laughs> so um, about a year ago, Tillamook changed the way they did their shredded cheese, 
So, you know, most shredded cheese is like, you know, really small, like maybe one to two millimeters thick. Well, Tillamook decided we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to do giant ass shreds. Like <laughs> these are close to a centimeter in thickness. Ooh, that's a lot. Well, maybe not thickness. Is, is that even a, sh- is that even shredded at that point? Well, it's like, it's, it, it's more like, um, it's flat, I guess. It's still flat, but it's like a centimeter wide almost. It's like linguine cheese. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> and we we were really disappointed when they did that because I was like, oh, Tillamook cheese is so good, but I don't know what I'm going to use like this gi- these giant shreds on. But we still like Tillamook cheese so much. They were like, it's still worth it to get it. And oh my God, it's so much better. <laughs> like when you put it on like tacos, you put it on... I, I, and like any food that you plan on putting like a cheese topping on, like a chili, like you just taste it so much more. Wow. Like, oh, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah just having no. more more cheese, like yeah, having thicker things of cheese, like you just taste the cheese so much better than you would with the tiny shreds. But if it's more shredded, isn't there more cheese surface area? So like, shouldn't that <laughs> be more flavor? But if it melts, it just kind of blends into everything. That's Whereas, true. like, the, these big shreds, they'll melt, but they won't completely melt. Okay. So, I see. yeah, Tillamook shredded cheese changed my life. <laughs> I'll have to look into that, too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you use shredded cheese, uh, the thick shreds are just so good. I, I thought it was the worst thing ever, and it turned out to be the best thing ever. So, I never, in Tillamook, we trust. Can we get Tillamook to sponsor this podcast, please? That would be a great idea. I'm, I'm going to contact them. I'm putting that in my to-do list. I'm going to contact them right after the pod. Maybe tomorrow, actually. They're probably asleep. Oh, this would be so great. God, we would do the best <laughs> Tillamook ads ever. Um, <laughs> this literally is one right now. Uh, Tillamook, you get this one for free. Yeah. <laughs> the rest, you want any more, you're going to have to pay. <laughs> Yeah, okay, we got to get some leverage. We got to stop talking about Tillamook as hard as it is. It's topic time, and living is easy. I I didn't know we were singing the jingles now. (laughs) I don't think I get paid enough to do that. I had a competition this weekend. I organized it, actually. But until a couple weeks before it, I forgot it existed. Oh, (laughs) nice. That's good as an organizer. Well, you see, I'm, I wasn't like the main organizer. I was mentoring two other organizers for it. Well, I guess it was more like a month before it that I had forgotten about it until because that was when it was announced. Mm-hmm. I have this like Facebook group chat with a few of the other guys here who we always like do stuff together and go to comps and hang out after them and stuff. And Kevin Matthews. Oh, by the way, he um, has noticed that we mention him on almost every podcast. So uh, and actually we have a couple. I have a couple places planned to mention him here. So uh, yeah, he... <laughs> He was trying to get us all to go uh, carpool up to Berkeley for the Berkeley competition this weekend. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, oh, maybe I could, but like they don't have FMC, so like I don't really want to go to it. And he's also a delegate now, so mm-hmm. he was added to the delegate list for my competition. Okay. And he was like, Andrew, why didn't you tell me that you were organizing a competition on this day? these days? I've been trying to get you to carpool all the way up to Berkeley. <laughs> and... <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I had just completely forgotten about it until we actually got it announced. Like, I knew it was happening. I just didn't know the, or I didn't remember the exact date of it. So when he brought it up, and I didn't have it on my calendar for some reason. So I was like, yeah, I'm free. I guess I could go to Berkeley, but like, I don't know, maybe. Do you not (laughs) use like the My Competition section of the WCA website? 
I do, but I wasn't looking at it, you know, at the time. <laughs> well, I'm, so. maybe it's that I organize so many competitions that I use that as my hub to, like, approve registrations for everything. Yeah, that's, uh, that's impressive. <laughs> the good news is I remembered to go to it. Good. Did you remember to mentor your new organizers, too? I did. They actually had it uh, very well under control. I was impressed with how much they had organized. It was so well under control that you forgot that you were even supposed to go. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, they actually, it was at their high school, and they got a bunch of people from their high school who weren't cubers to help out, so I like taught them how to staff and stuff. Uh, and then they all did a real good job, so that was really nice. Yeah, it's always nice uh, when you get those volunteer judges to that aren't cubers, so you don't have to worry about them like getting up and going or needing to compete or practice or whatever yeah it was very nice yeah i used to when i did comps at michigan i used to have a group of friends that would do the same and i just bought them like a bunch of food for lunch and they mm -hmm. had fun with it so yeah nice <laughs> uh the, the competition was sort of like a fundraiser for his school band oh, so okay they just got a bunch of band members to help out oh that's a cool way to do it hm. yeah it was nice oh oh and the other thing um the competition had an fmc mean and oh, I heard about this. Yes, and when he was telling us about the Berkeley competition, I was like, oh, I don't really want to go because it doesn't have FMC. Mm -hmm. Like, if it had, if there was a competition with FMC that weekend near us, I would totally go to that. Oh, man, <laughs> if only. Imagine a comp with FMC that weekend. <laughs> yeah, uh, I got a 25.67 mean. It was yeah. pretty nice. Now, I didn't look at your solutions, but the, the uh, based on, like, what you described of your solutions, uh, looked like a pretty intelligent mean. Yeah, it was all right. Um, I got pretty, I got pretty lucky on the last one. Mm -hmm. The first two were pretty average, though. Well, the, the second one was probably my smartest FMC like start ever. Mm -hmm. The end was a bit lucky, but the start of it was, I'm really happy with. Mm -hmm. That the second one was a 23, and yep, yep. the start. So I looked at it. The scramble had like three pairs, but mm -hmm. the EO was really bad. It was like five moves was the best you could do if you were just doing a straight eo mm -hmm. yeah it sounds like a scramble where you don't want to do straight eo yeah well i at first i tried to find stuff with the pairs but because the eo was so bad they didn't like form blocks very easily right so i eventually after checking like i had some backup solution like i found a 19 to four corner skeleton mm -hmm. um but after checking that i couldn't find anything else with block building so i was like okay let's try some of those eos and there were only a few five movers and those weren't that great but finally, I, I just like I was like, okay, fine. I just looked at the white front EO. Mm -hmm. It had ten bad edges. Oh. But if I did like UD, mm -hmm. it brought it down to four bad edges. And then if I NIST, it was two moves away from finishing the EO. So I did nice. a ten bad edge EO in four moves, and that was the only EO that preserved three of all three of the pairs and built another one. So. <laughs> okay then. <laughs> yeah so i it went from being like a horrible eo scramble to having like the best eo start ever yeah that's that's pretty cool and I, the only reason i looked at it was because all the others were so bad i would have totally missed that because just like normally i don't even look at a 10 move or a 10 bad edge eo oh yeah if i ever see 10 bad edges i'm just like nope yeah <laughs> uh, thanks but no thanks yeah exactly and then i think actually in the end i sort of broke the eo later with my block building mm-hmm Cause like I found a place to insert it, like to the just um, like I had a pseudo block that was solved with a U move, mm -hmm. which the U then broke I, the EO. Yeah, so that breaks EO. But then I found a place I could insert an F an F move to fix the EO. So I did that, <laughs> and yeah. So in the end, the EO I did wasn't really very recognizable, but it was how I got to that solution. 
Sounds like a mess. It was. <laughs> it was fun, though. Well, just remember, is you say that, uh, you know, you got lucky here. You did not get a 22LL skip, so... You're right. Well... <laughs> You did not yeah, get it. true. You did not I, get as lucky as I did at Nats. <laughs> I got a twenty-three with a soon as the LL. Oh, okay. Or an anti soon or something. I thought it was a twenty-one though, because <laughs> it was a lot like you. I'm a lot like you in this respect. Um, <laughs> I was literally just about to say that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, at first I like I found it. The first way I found the solution was as a 16 move skeleton to like three edges with three twisted corners okay and i was like oh i can try to insert that but then i was just like what the, what would happen if i nist here and then i nist and it was just like oh okay that's just a soon ll so i wrote that down that was the 23 but then i was like okay i might as well try to insert this and i found a place that i was like oh this is perfect it cancels like one move on either side of the soon so that's gonna bring it down to a 21 mm-hmm. first of all that was wrong because it would have only brought it down to a 22 <laughs> because it already was canceling one move as the ll Mm-hmm. Um, like it canceled the AUF. Oh, okay. So I was wrong about that in the first place. And then I was also wrong about it canceling there because it, tur- as it turns out, I was inserting an anti-soon instead of a soon. So oh. yeah, it didn't even fit there. So rip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I ended up with a 23, which is still a PR. So I'm happy with that. Very nice. What so is a good competition? But what, did, what, but what, why did you bring up your public relations team? Um, I plead the fifth. I don't know what what why, why does your public relations team need to worry about your your FMC results? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think the public really cares that much. Well, you'd be surprised. I got like fifty four likes on that Facebook post. <laughs> oh man, got got to collect those likes. <laughs> I got a box in my room where I stack all my thumbs. <laughs> that sounds really creepy. <laughs> Remind me not to like your Facebook posts. <laughs> uh it's fun being maniacal but anyways glad you didn't forget how to do fmc at least yeah i hadn't practiced it at all except for one uh one attempt before the competition because you remembered you had it yeah (laughs) no it was just the day before i was like i haven't practiced fmc i should at least do one to make sure i remember how to write and as it turns out my handwriting is way worse than it used to be when i was practicing really You, you 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 can get in shape for doing good handwriting I guess so. Yeah, well, because like when I was doing FMC earlier, there was a while where I was like, I had a really strict system, and I had to have neat r- handwriting so that everything lined up, like because I would use system like different indent amounts and stuff. Interesting. So I got so that I could write really small so that I could fit a lot on one page and not have to like, switch pages very often, which wastes time. And then I had like really consistent handwriting so I could always read it, and it would always fit with my indentation system nicely. So I tried had to try to get back in safe, uh, back in shape for that, which I didn't really do very well, but. Interesting. So see, because I am about the exact opposite in terms of organization during FMC. I (laughs) write on as many sheets as possible. uh, And (laughs) um, also I do a lot of writing without looking, (laughs) especially when I'm writing down the inverse scramble. That's one of the reasons I can do it so fast is because I seldomly actually look at what I'm writing. And I've gotten pretty good at just, like, <laughs> writing down the inverse while staring at the moves um, and kind of peeking just to make sure, like, I'm not writing on top of things every once in a while. Now that I think about it, I don't even know, like, what my eyes are doing while I'm doing these moves and writing them down. I assume I'm re- looking at what I'm writing, but there are probably times when I don't. But I think I mostly do have to look when I'm writing. So I don't, <laughs> otherwise, 
my writing just goes all over the place and I'm writing all over myself. See, my writing's already terrible to begin with, so uh, it doesn't get much worse. <laughs> I, ha I had a big problem for a while where my L's looked like twos. Mm, Wait, was that what it was? Mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. it was, yeah. So that was what sort of motivated me to think a lot more about my handwriting, and I started making sure there was like a noticeable loop every time in my twos. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I've, I've that, had similar issues too. Yeah, well, just making sure I had that loop really fixed the problem, and now I just naturally write twos with loops. <laughs> yeah, that definitely helps quite a bit. I think for me, it was just, I don't know if I do a good job of writing my L's or twos any better. I just leave more space between moves. <laughs> No, that helps too, yeah. So it's clear, like, if you have, like, like a B and then an L, like, if there's a giant space between the B and the L, even if the L looks like a 2, you know it's an L, because, wow, to <laughs> write a B2 with a giant space in between it. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. that, yeah. <laughs> Again, this is going on to how I take up several sheets of paper when I do FMC. <laughs> <laughs> so. you, you actually use a different piece of paper for every letter, for every yes. move. Yeah, you turn in like a stack of like 28 or 25 or however many pieces of paper. Right, yeah, they just count the sheets at the end. <laughs> kind of a pain if I use rotations, though. I want to do that now. <laughs> well, I had the idea at Northwest Championships that you should... I, I kind of wish I did this on my 22 because I had so much time left over, but turn in an entire solution with just wide moves. <laughs> oh. I'd be too scared if I, were, if I had a good solve. <laughs> oh, okay. So, I mean, I would write down on a separate sheet of paper, like, and turn that in, like, if I couldn't get it to work. Right. Okay. <laughs> but, or if I didn't feel confident in how I wrote down the wide turn solution. But, I mean, like, there's, I've seen, like, stupid things, like, people doing, like, rotations, they only do R's as for their solution yeah. or something dumb <laughs> like that. But wide moves, you don't have to rotate ever. It still looks like the the same number of moves. Yeah. <laughs> it just looks ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, that's why I think it's beautiful is because it looks silly, but it doesn't really detriment. Like, for someone who's checking it, like... I, I Yeah, it's you can still check it just as fast. Yeah, much. pretty much. A little bit slower, but it's... It, like, rotations, you have to think about so much. And if you have mm -hmm. a rotation in between every single move, that's going to be annoying to do yep. so i don't know there's something beautiful to me about an fmc solution that has entirely wide moves <laughs> um but i don't know if i'm gonna have an opportunity to do that again soon because i would need to get a basically a skip halfway through that i know i'm not gonna beat like i did at nats <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> so missed opportunity there at the same time though it's like when you get what you feel is like a nationals podium it's like do you really want to screw with that just to just for the for the memes i don't know yeah <laughs> i mean even when you do get a skip like that it's always worth checking to see if you can find anything better yeah and i did for a little bit but i think i was just like no this is <laughs> i i'm i i was like unless i go through completely new starts at this point i didn't feel like i was gonna find anything better Mm -hmm. And I had like 25 minutes left and I was like, I'm, I also, the, the documentary was right. Chris's documentary was right after the FMC attempt. So I think like to me, I was just kind of like, eh, I'd rather just go there and get a good seat. <laughs> so <laughs> priorities, like I was like, you know, I might be able to find a 21 if I really work at it. Be a PR. But... That would be the first North American 21. W yeah, that is true. That's weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um no i yeah i don't think i could have found anything better in that time even if i had tried 
So, oops. I had a competition that I organized last weekend as well. It was kind of an interesting one in that I won everything, which is <laughs> kind of stupid. Nice. But, uh... A clean sweep. Yeah, it was... Yeah, so you can uh, now put me... Let's see. Among, uh... Timothy Sun, Michael Young, Burnett Orlando, Felix Zemdegs, and, and uh, Martin uh, Fronescu as the people who have clean-swept competitions with at least nine events. Wow. <laughs> so that's stupid because uh, I'm not really as good as any of those people. <laughs> Wait, what, what events has Felix swept? How has, he event, how has he swept nine events? Are there that many end-by-end puzzles? Well, he, so it's it's he swept the Melbourne Cube Day 2010 competition. Okay. Which, uh, let's see, he swept two through seven, blind, fewest moves, one-handed, and multi-blind. That's a lot. Wow. Yeah, I think the most surprising one to me is multi-blind, though. Like, I don't. Even... Well, he was he was good at blind back in the day. Yeah, like, he, he had the four-blind yeah. world record. Well, it was kind of a fluke, but I mean, I don't even think he's done multi-blind in ages. Hmm. Um, oh no, he has. He did it once this year. Okay, I take that back. But still, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in 2010, though, like, I mean, Felix was really mo- was like good at everything, head and shoulders above everybody in Australia. And yeah. uh, of course, now there's Jay who can steal an event or two here or there, and mm-hmm. lots of people who specialize in blind. So kind of hard, kind of hard for him to do that these days. But you, in the middle of well, what state was this one? This was Wyoming. In the middle of Wyoming? Yeah. Anybody can sweep a competition. Oh, no, it it was ridiculous. To tell you how bad some of these events went, this was the first time I didn't have a sub-50 single on 4x4 in over a year. <laughs> I had a pop in 6x6 that cost me over a minute. <laughs> and I think it was one of the worst one-handed averages I've also had in over a year. I'm not good at any of those three events yeah <laughs> and i won them so so do, do you feel good about yourself <laughs> i don't know awards was really awkward yeah <laughs> like it's considering you're the organizer and the delegate oh yeah that too um michael young was telling me that when he swept a competition that one time he felt so bad about it yeah i mean i it was like kind of cool like it was definitely something i was shooting for but it also mm-hmm. was, it, there's like a definitely a bit of guilt to it too. Cause <laughs> I mean, you're bringing a competition to an area that really hasn't had these before. And a third of all the podiums and every single first place is just going to the guy who's going to go back home yep. to Portland. So <laughs> just make everyone else there want to give up and never keep again. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at the same time though, there are a lot of people who got podiums that probably wouldn't have gotten a podium in many other places. So mm-hmm. that's kind of cool too. in that it was from that sense, like all the, the people there kind of maybe got to achieve something they otherwise wouldn't have, which is kind of, yeah. which is kind of cool too. You know, even despite me being a total jerk, there was still a lot of like, there were a few people that I noticed were like really happy about their achievements even if they didn't get anything so that's good yeah which makes me feel a little better but at the same time yeah it's it was kind of awkward <laughs> um i had lauren do the award ceremony <laughs> oh good <laughs> yeah. there's no way i could i could i mean because normally i will do awards for any comp i organize yeah but when when you have to give every first place award to yourself that's awkward uh, even at missoula where um most of the things that I won were third, I made Lauren do it. Because it's like, I don't want to <laughs> say my name literally in every other event. 
Yeah. <laughs> so this is something I've had in the show notes for a while. Kevin Matthews. This is where I mention him again. Nice. He came up with an improvement for how to do multi-blind. Okay. And with this method, you can actually solve multiple cubes at the same time. Are you getting where I'm going with this? Um. No. <laughs> well, you see, normally you memorize your cubes. Correct. Put on your blindfold and solve the cubes all with your hands. Okay. What if you put some of your cubes in the ground and solve them with your feet at the same time? Okay, so, you know, I, w- I thought my the idea I had was stupid. <laughs> and my idea that I didn't really want to say because I thought it was stupid was that you just kind of do one-handed in each hand. Um, no, no, that's slow because then that slows, like, one-handed is, obje- like, especially for blind with all, like, the slice moves and stuff you need, that's going to be so much slower. But you're with- suggesting feet solving. Yeah, but the thing is, you can still do the exact same amount with your hands. You just get a little bit extra done with your feet. Uh-huh. See, the one-handed thing, that's a trade-off. You can no longer do your two-handed solves. In, in, ex- in exchange, you get to do two one-handed solves. So you... Whereas this, this is purely additive to your two-handed solves. <laughs> but do you, can, you, can a human really <laughs> process turning on two cubes at the same time? I don't know. Like, maybe once you, like, start executing an ALG, maybe then you can, like, fire off the trigger for the next ALG with your feet or whatever. Like, wow. Like, you don't have to be thinking about every single move you do, right? You just kind of, like, think of the calm you want to do, and then your hands do it. Ah, man. I mean, like, the thing about feet while blindfolded, though, (laughs) like, Timothy Goh was doing um, feet blind solves a while back, and... I think he had like tw- like twenty or some DNFs before he got his first one, just because you know, you can accidentally rotate the cube and not notice so easily. <laughs> That's true. Like, I mean, sure, I get this like theoretically, and this is like a theoretical pie in the sky improvement. <laughs> but like, and even if you assume that people can turn two cubes at once, like doing double one-handed or something which i'm I'm contending might actually be more efficient if you could get your brain to solve two cubes at once mm, i'm not sure because slice moves are hard enough to do one-handed that it might not be possible to mm, fair okay make that work well slice moves with your feet let's be real but again it doesn't matter if they're slow you might get like one or two extra cubes done in like the 10 uh, minutes or 20 minutes you're executing uh, uh. This this comfort this this conversation is just making me uncomfortable a little bit, um, <laughs> but I don't know it it <laughs> just, just even just putting aside that you know like that you can theoretically solve two cubes with your mind at the same time using your body parts, <laughs> like the fact that solving with your feet like legitimately decreases your accuracy so much like i like i just i i can't see how this is worth the practice i bet daniel rose levine could do it (laughs) oh boy at some point we're gonna have to use dumb tricks like this to get better at multi what like in a hundred years when the you know heat death of the earth isn't is imminent in a hundred years 
That's a pessimistic view of the future of the Earth. I, I've <laughs> I've grown into a real pessimist, Andrew. Global warming is imminent. <laughs> That's true. I guess that is a type of heat death. That's the heat death I'm talking about. Oh, okay. <laughs> not the not like the heat death of the universe. I'm talking about the heat death of the Earth. I see. I guess that's a realistic time frame. Um, <laughs> well, this is a cubing podcast about happy cubing stuff. Ostensibly. Other times it's a podcast about death. <laughs> Aren't all podcasts about death at some point, though? I feel like that's just a thing. When they stop releasing episodes, they are. Ooh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Is it? I don't know. I just agreed with it, but I don't know if it actually is. Anyways, <laughs> um, Kevin Matthews, Kevin Matthews, Kevin Matthews. Just wanted to insert some more appearances. All right, good. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. That, that's sort. We can hopefully we can roll those over to the next episode in case we don't manage to fit one in. Kevin Matthews. So, Kit, it has been requested that we talk about some of the podcasts we listen to to talk about our inspirations and stuff for this one. And well, to start, I'll admit. I mean, I guess it's not really an admission, but I will say that this was basically my idea, and I just asked you if you wanted to do it, so you kind of got roped into this. Perfect. So I'm the one who listens to most of the podcasts. Do you listen to any podcasts, Kit? So, okay, most of my podcast listening is done through Lauren, in that she will put on podcasts a lot, like while cooking or while do getting work done or something like that. So I don't think I'm a regular listener, really, to many podcasts at all, but I listen two podcasts through lauren uh so but uh, yeah i don't get a lot of the continuity because like i just kind of get to listen to the ones that let she's happens to listen to while i'm around but the ones that i do like that a lot that she does are um the pitch okay i've yeah, heard of that one it's basically shark tank in podcast form just venture capitalist people pitching stuff to them there's uh dear hank and john it's really good <laughs> i think that uh the loose uh, form of that podcast has inspired the loose form of this podcast for me, at least. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those guys, th those two brothers, they just have such good chemistry. It's I, don't, like... I don't know how they do it. It's it, especially as brothers, like m most brothers just like want to hate the shit out of each other as they grow up. I feel like <laughs> <laughs> I, I yeah, no, they're they're incredible. Let's see some other ones. Oh, Beautiful Anonymous. I haven't heard of that one either. Oh, that is great. Uh, Chris Gethard, he hosts this podcast where he tweets out like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm going to do a recording that people, uh, please call in. And literally the podcast is just a one hour phone call with some anonymous person that calls into the show and just talks about their life. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, my sister was on it and that's kind of how I got introduced to it, and Lauren now is kind of an avid listener of the show. And my sister's episode's actually one of the more infinite, infamous episodes of the show, too. Really? Yeah. <laughs> what happened? I, she's just... She's just a freaking weirdo. I don't know. <laughs> like... Uh, like, she uh, somehow got Chris Gethard, like, like, appointed a new nickname, Giraffe. <laughs> The way this po po like this podcast works is like there's literally a one hour time limit, and when that hour hits, like it's cut off, no okay. more. And huh. like there apparently so at the very end, like there was like thirty seconds left, and Chris is like, "All right, quick, you, you get something else in anything, anything you want to say to the people." Like, and <laughs> um, her boyfriend like just got home too, so she was a little frazzled, and literally the last thing she said was, <laughs> "Pork chops for dinner." <laughs> that was. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why? 
I don't know. Was she even talking to like to was it was she just Chris Gethard? Said the, yeah, Chris Gethard just literally said the first thing that came to her <laughs> mind. Ah, <laughs> uh, so um, yeah, those are uh, the pods that I mostly. I, there's probably plenty more that I listen to, but those are the ones mm-hmm. that stand out that I personally enjoy listening to when I am in the same pod space as Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. There's a little, little, <laughs> a little, little weird uh, podcast tidbit. And if there's anybody who's a beautiful anonymous listener that listens to this, uh, I apologize for ruining, r- potentially ruining the anonymity of uh, one of the callers. But <laughs> it's my sister, so I feel okay doing it. <laughs> So do you want me to go through some of the podcasts I listen to? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, I'll go through my favorites first, then just go give a long list of all the other ones I listen to. All right. Um, so definitely my favorite podcast is Hello Internet, which mm-hmm. you might be able to, for any listeners who know it, they probably have seen a lot of the, a lot of familiar things from that and the editing of this one and like our format with follow-up and stuff. Those are all things I kind of stole from there. Yeah, L- Lauren listens to that one a lot too. That's, yeah, so I, I'm definitely familiar with that as well. In case you don't know, it's these two YouTubers, educational YouTubers, CGB Gray and Brady Heron. And they're basically, they're like kind of an odd couple, like very different people. And, but they have really good chemistry and they're good friends, you can tell. So yeah, they just kind of talk about random stuff, but it's always interesting and funny. And they get like some, and their fan base is so, so crazy. Like they do insane things. Like they sent, um, one of the things they talk about a lot is flag design. They had like a thing where they, got listeners to design a flag for the podcast and then vote on them by sending in postcards with their votes and then they counted up these like they got like six thousand or something postcards and they counted all the votes so now they have this flag and people have been doing crazy stuff with this flag like taking it to antarctica and like some guy got it sent into space because he was like an engineer on some rocket and they had like some payload payload space for that they just needed as like a test, so he put a hello internet flag in it. Nice. Uh, it's just they're crazy. Um, was, was this the podcast that talked about the Pocatello flag? Uh, I'm not sure. Okay, that might be I something recall. different. It's a city in Idaho. They were like declared the worst flag in North America. Hmm. Uh, I'm not sure. And they redesigned their flag, so it's possible. It's been they have a lot of episodes. Yeah, I definitely remember listening to some podcast about that at some point. So <laughs> it, it, if they're interested in that stuff, it might have happened, but maybe it was something different. There's another podcast, uh, 99% Invisible, with Roman Mars, and I know they have sort of an infamous flag episode. It's all about design and stuff, the podcast. Mm-hmm. So they have an episode about flag design. That's one of their most famous ones. That's another good podcast. Uh, other favorites of mine, we've got, you know, Dear Hank and John, as you already said. Um, all the S-Town and serial podcasts. Oh, yep. Okay. Yeah, S Town is one of my like as far as like a standalone thing, not like an ongoing podcast. That's probably my favorite podcast of all time. The Shut Up and Sit Down podcast is really funny, and I just started getting into that recently. It's a board game podcast by Shut Up and Sit Down, who are board game reviewers. And then I've got a lot of podcasts from Relay FM. Oh, and oh, uh, before I get into those, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History podcast. If you don't know this podcast, it is epic. It's about history. And it's by Dan Carlin. He's like a reporter, so he's not really a historian, but he's really good at telling these stories. Uh, the first one I listened to was called Blueprint for Armageddon, and it's about World War One. It's a six-part series, 
and each episode is between three and five hours long. But it's it's all one cohesive thing. So it's like twenty to thirty hours of stuff about World War One, and it's really good. Wow, that's that's a that's a piece of work there. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> but and then they're all like that. Like the next one is like a total of like twelve hours and. Even his one-off episodes are, like, six hours long. It's, it's, I don't know. I really, really like it, though. It's really engaging. And I've never really been a fan of history, but I love hardcore history. And then, as I was getting into, um, a lot of stuff from Relay FM, which is a podcast network. Um, I learned about them through Cortex, which is CGP Ray's other podcast, that, aside from Hello Internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he does that with one of the co-founders of Relay FM. So they've got just a ton of podcasts, and they're all about like tech for the most part, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of them are about Apple, which is interesting to me. I've started to like Apple more since I listened to them. Like I listen to them because I like the hosts of them, but now I've started to get more into like the stuff they talk about. Uh, I've got a few of my own podcasts on here. <laughs> <laughs> like the Poorly Researched History Podcast? Yes, there's the Poorly Researched History Podcast, a little-known podcast you might not have heard of called Layer by Layer. Whoa. Um... And, of course, the new one, Brain to Board, which I release every Friday. Okay, okay, there's also the Glass Cannon podcast, which is definitely the best, uh, what was it called, actual play podcast, where they play basically D&D. They actually play Pathfinder, but it's basically the same game. And they, like, role-play their characters, and they're all really funny. Like, a couple of them are actors. One of them's a playwright. One of them's a comedian. Yeah, so it's really funny, and they all get really into their characters and tell this really cool story. Mm-hmm. So if I were to go through the entire list of my podcasts, we've got 99% Invisible, Brain to Board, that's my own, Cannon Fodder, <laughs> Canvas, The Glass Cannon, Layer by Layer, No Dumb Questions, Playing for Fun, The Poorly Researched History Podcast, Printed and Ship It, Spontaneation, Accidental Tech Podcast, The Anthropocene Reviewed, App Stories, Connected, Cortex, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, Dear Hank and John, Download, Hello Internet, Reasonably Sound, S-Town, Serial, Shut Up and Sit Down, Top 4, Ungenius, The Unmade Podcast, and Upgrade. Well then. Yep. <laughs> that's that's so a, Those are them. <laughs> how, do you, how do you have time to live? I mean, that's a lot of podcasts to listen to. Yeah, I mean, I listen while I'm cubing and like uh, cooking, doing the dishes, that kind of stuff. Yeah, fair enough. It's it's definitely an easy activity to do along with other things. So as I imagine many people listening right now are cubing as they listen. <laughs> I hope so. It's such a great thing to do while cubing, yeah. listening to podcasts. Yeah, that's a fair point. I, I, I think for me, I prefer to not, especially if, when I'm practicing and like I want to actually practice like to improve. I try to like it, when I practice have like as few differences between like a competition and a home environment as possible. That makes sense. And I don't stall with a stack map because it's, like, really annoying, but I at least, like, I always try to, like, use the space bar as if it were a stack map, almost. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I do that, too. Yeah, like, I don't hold the cube with one hand and space bar on the other hand unless there's, like, literally nowhere for me to put the cube down. And on the same note, I also don't like listening to music while I cube because I can't do that in competitions. Podcast is a little different because, like, there's not necessarily a rhythm to a podcast like there is music, but... Mm-hmm. Um, I still would pref- personally, myself at least, not like to have, like, be listening to something while cubing, because I feel like it puts me in a different zone than I would be in at a competition. So for me, this is something I've sort of noticed real recently. Mm-hmm. I can only focus for, like, one solve. Like, I can only actually focus for, like, one solve. So even if I'm not listening to something, mm-hmm. the amount of solves that I can do that is actually higher quality 
than I could do if I were listening to something is like one or two. And then after that, just like my own thoughts, like I start thinking about stuff and it's pretty similar to me for listening to a podcast. It's just my own thoughts instead of, instead of other people's thoughts. So interesting. <laughs> and, and I notice like the same effect. Like if I sort of start, like if I like tune out a podcast for a second, like maybe they have an ad break or something and then that allows me to concentrate first couple of solves I do, they're always better, but I can't keep my concentration like that for very long at all. Do you have this issue when actually at a competition? Yeah. Every once in a while I can get into the zone, but it's really hard for me to focus on the solve. Cause if I think about, if I concentrate too hard on being focused, I start thinking about being focused right. rather than thinking about the solve. Maybe I just need to practice doing that more at home, but it's really hard for me to keep my focus. Interesting. Well, hmm. I can keep my focus during FMC though. Yeah. <laughs> um, which I think is, I think that's one of the reasons I'm good at it. And one of the reasons I like it, mm -hmm. just the, the, there's always something else to think about. Whereas so much of like speed solves is just mechanical execution of things you already have. So there's like time in between for you to get distracted. Right. I feel at least. Yeah, no, that's, that's totally fair. Yeah. FMC is ridiculously captivating when you're, mm -hmm. when you know how to look for stuff and when you're, you know, it, it I feel it's incredible how quick an hour flies by when you're doing FMC. And it's even different from like multi-blind. And this might just be because I don't, I take it more seriously than multi-blind. Mm -hmm. But like there are times where I'll, I will just sit there staring at a cube for like a minute to two minutes and be thinking about something completely different from the solve. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's, that might just be because I'm not like as serious about multi-blind. So I can't keep that focus. But just something about it is it's like, I guess it's because the, the things you're doing in multi-blind are very segmented. Like you make letter pairs and you store them in like different rooms. And then there's all this in-between space for me. Mm -hmm. Whereas fewest moves, at least the way I think of it is there's always something else to be planning to do next and something else to look at next. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, it's very true. On the contrary for where FMC like blows by in no time and the yeah. multi-blind hour feels like three hours long. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it, it's... At least it, while you're memorizing, like I just, it's so taxing that it just feels like you're stuck in memo forever. Yeah, and, and my comp uh, this weekend, they also had multi-blind. We also had multi-blind, and my first solve was like the worst multi-solve I've ever done. I just gave up ten or like a couple solves into execution because the whole time I memoed, like not a single image stuck. Ugh. So I kind of just ended up memorizing like the words of the image what, that were supposed to be images and like putting the words in the places instead of actually putting <laughs> images in places. That sounds sketchy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it didn't work very well. But it's just for whatever reason, it was like early in the morning and my brain just could not form images. The second solve was a lot better, but... Then I messed up a lot on execution because I was using a Roscoe edges and OP corners, mm -hmm. which is somewhat difficult to do. And I had, and I like made up a way to account for parity, like on the fly. I was just like, okay, I'm going to do this com and this should work out to set up for like my, the, the edges that are going to be swapped with my OP corners. Mm -hmm. As it turns out, I did the inverse of the com. So at the end I had four cubes that were all off by the same com. Perfect. Um, Yep, and those were all the ones I had parody on. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's that's frustrating. Yeah, it, it was fine, though. It would have been a 7 out of 11 if I had gotten no. all of those. Okay. <laughs> it was pretty funny, though. Yeah. And there was actually another, there was another one that had the same problem, but it also had some other mistakes. Yeah, I've never really had that much of a focusing problem, though. That's, that's interesting. I mean, I, I have that, I mean, I feel like I have that same issue when I try to sleep. I, yeah, I definitely have that. 
Yeah, so I mean, I know what you're experiencing, but that's never happened to me while cubing. Really? It's just, for me, it's always when I'm when I'm trying to go to sleep when I'm not tired. I mean, this kind of happens to me every time I go to sleep, even when I am tired. Like, as soon as I get in bed, I'm no longer tired, and I just get distracted. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that I feel that too, and that's, like, a lot of the times why I get into these ruts where I just start going to bed later and later, because... <laughs> I just need to get to the point where I'm so tired that there's no way I can't fall asleep. Mm -hmm. Yep, I totally get that. This is something that we've had in here. I don't remember who added it originally, but I started thinking a good amount about it and thinking about like how team events could be added to the WCA if they ever were to become a thing. Because I feel like Mm -hmm. as far as like thinking of different sports and other activities that are similar to cubing, a lot of what makes these things interesting is when you have the team dynamic and when it's just like individuals doing stuff, it gets like, like it can be interesting, but with cubing, you don't really have as much of a head to head kind of thing. Like other sports where you've individual things like tennis, you often still have like this direct conflict where people saw like their abilities are directly pitted against one another. Right. Whereas in cubing, I guess it's most like golf kind of where it's, it's a very much an individual thing. Yeah. Or I, I, I bowling as well too. Mm-hmm. Although, mm-hmm. like, what's what's interesting, though, is, like, even in those sports, though, like, say if you're facing against someone in, like, in golf, and, like, you have, you're on, you're putting on the green, if you have to putt first, because you're further away, and, like, you have a, you have to, like, your ball has to go over a, a similar area as the other person, they get to see how your shot, like, reacts, so that, that thing doesn't exist at all in cubing. And similar in bowling too, like there's oil patterns on all the lanes, and there even though you're you can't literally affect the out like how they will throw the ball and hit the pins, you can affect the oil like and how your ball rolls over. Mm-hmm. And they can see how yours rolls. Huh? They can you can, they can see how yours rolls, and also you can throw your ball in a way that moves the oil to a slightly different spot, and then affects their mm. shot. So. It's like even in these sports, there are ways that you can react to how the other person is is doing. And I mean, I guess in cubing, like if if you see that someone's ahead of you, you can start like turning more risky or something. But at the same time, like literally all you're racing against is the clock. And there's very little synergy or, you know, anti or versus synergy. Like there's no there's very mm-hmm. little response to how the other person's doing because the goal should be to just go as fast as you can. It's not like getting a skip on one cube is going to be like, ooh, I mean, in, unless you're really like wasting the time to go look at the other person's cube and see how they got that skip. It's like, yeah, I'm not going to do any anything until I watch their solve right. and see how their luck right, turns right. out. That's not a good no, strategy. It, like, <laughs> yeah, even if you're solving the same time, you probably shouldn't be watching them to see how they're doing the same scramble as you. Like, <laughs> so, So I think that, to, to start, that is sort of a fundamental problem with making cubing a good spectator sport. And th- there are ways to still make it really exciting. Like, if you have head-to-head stuff, that can still be really exciting. So I don't think it's that bad, but there is just that to consider. And all of all of these ideas that I'm going to run by you for um, team events, these all address certain aspects of making it a team sport. And they all have their pros and cons. The one at the end, I attempted to address the problem of not, of not having that, like, direct competition. Mm-hmm. But we'll get to okay. that. So some ideas, and if you have any other ideas for team events that there could be, feel free to throw those out. But I'm just going to go through this okay. list here. So the first one is single event relays. So this is basically like what the Nation's Cup was at right. Worlds. So I guess like to start the 
good things about it is it's very like visual there's a good amount of variance in terms of like when you have three different people or multiple different people doing the same thing they can have variance so you it's hard to predict a winner even if one team is more skilled than the other and yeah so that that's sort of the most basic thing i could think of to create a team event what do you think of that so yeah having gone to worlds and being at the nation's cup like i thought it was boring i left uh, like i stayed around because they wanted people to help judge for the nation's cup and i wasn't on staff and their staff were tired and i was like sure i can help and i did a few solves and mm -hmm. like then they subbed me out so my shift was over or whatever and i tried to stay and watch but i was this is just so boring to me i mean there were some matchups that were somewhat interesting but at the same time again it's just people doing things alongside each other and I don't really see the excitement in it that inherently. I mean, it's exciting when it's close, but it's so rarely close. Like, teams in mm -hmm. general, even, like, if you're three or five seconds apart, that's lopsided already. Yeah, I just, uh, me personally, I had a hard time getting excited about the Nation's Cup. It has a few other problems in that the teams, basically, you're, the best team is always just going to be the combination of the best Yes, keepers. yes. Um the best individual cuber. So there is no s team synergy. You can't really use teamwork in any way no. for this. In that respect, though, it is sort of similar to something like a relay race, which I guess is literally what it is. It's yeah. a relay. <laughs> yeah, where the best relay race team are the three fastest runners in the world, or the whatever yeah. the number is for that rate relay. So then the, the way that a lot of sports sort of get around the problem of just like the three best people or whatever are always going to be the best is by restricting it with something like restricting by mm -hmm. nations or... You know, something like that. But at the same time, I feel like with cubing, none, nothing else is really that much focused on having a team of a nation or anything. So I feel like adding that in is sort of just an arbitrary, like an arbitrary restriction. Right. Yeah. And like, I, I, I didn't partic participate in the Nations Cup, and I think it probably could be fun to do it. But I, I don't know if it's fun to watch. The thing is, it's it, it with you can really only do the Nations Cup at a Worlds anyways, at least with you know pitting nation against, nations against each other. Is wherever the con like any other competition is held, there's going to be a significant advantage to the home country because they're just present. Yeah, and I guess that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like it's kind of like the Olympics, right? So I don't know if that's necessarily a problem because the Olympics are the same way. That I mean, um, yeah, that's true. You would just have like teams practicing with each I other. Think, I think but... it's a you also don't really, you don't have the thing where teams practice with each other, because why would they? It's just the same as everything right. else they do. That, that's true. And I think where I, I see it as a problem is, like, it's not a problem for worlds in itself, but I'm saying that, like, you can't mm -hmm. hold nations, like, a Nations Cup-style event at, like, you know, a local, you know, SoCal Cup. Yeah. So what about, like, are there, like, esports that have teams that are with just people kind of all over the place, right? Because they can do that, like, digitally. I don't know. I'm not super familiar with this. I don't know mm -hmm. if you are, but I'm kind of wondering like how they come up with those teams. Like why wouldn't just the best players get together in like their esports things? And I guess, I guess the reason for that is it's more like a sport and that teamwork actually yes. matters. So if you practice with the same group of people, you're going to get better as a right. team. And like um, I, I've, I'm not terribly familiar, but I know of like the competitive rocket league scene. Um, mm -hmm. and there are different types of players. Like you don't want, yeah. um, three aggressive players on the same team. Yeah. Right. Like you can only have one Cronovi. Yeah. Well, yeah. And he's that, that Cronovi's not exactly, uh, relevant really these days too much. Oh, really? Not, I mean, not as much. I just, I was into it for like a little bit and he was like the only person yeah, I, no, I mean, his team won the very first, uh, championship. 
Yeah, he. I mean, he's still a really good player, but he's not like uh, relevant in terms of winning titles anymore. Hmm. I mean, he, he he's probably on one of the five or six best teams, but uh, there's a pretty big skill gap between like the top two or three and the rest. Okay. So at least as far as I've seen. But yeah. anyways, but yeah. With, with cubing, you're never gonna like get together with your friends and be like, let's form a team, and then actually have any chance at all of beating a team with people who are just better than you. Yeah, exactly. Th- that was my first idea. The next idea I had was to have some implement so- some sort of like league system mm-hmm. where you have like different leagues for different skill levels, and like you can work your way up in the leagues. Kind of like a promotion relegation system sort of thing? Yeah, or? yeah. So okay. sort of like English football or like the, um, maybe not exactly the same. There, there's sort of different ways to implement implement a league system, but like how you have minor league baseball. Mm-hmm. And that makes it so that you can still have like competitive and exciting things happening at different skill levels. But it's still like all, I feel like almost all of these things are going to have the fundamental problem of it's just like you always take the best cubers and they're going to get the best results. Well, and then then it comes down to, too, is, like, what puts you in certain brackets? Like, are you just taking, like, anyone in this time range? Yeah. And then then wherever you put the cutoff, it's like you're... Each league is, like, literally, you know, the best team of people who aren't under this time cutoff. Well, what if you had, like, team owners, and they could, like, recruit players for their teams, like, recruit cubers? Then, then you have like I guess this would this is imagining a world in which there isn't like enough money in cubing mm-hmm. that people could be paid salaries and stuff, so you could like trade different cubers to different teams, and oh um, <laughs> that's obviously nowhere close to the world we live in now. But I feel like if you had some kind of system like that, then maybe you could make something work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess that could work. Um, because there's like, like in a sports, salary, a lot of the t- there's like a, like a salary restriction in that sense. Yeah. Yeah, like like in sports a lot of the time, the best team would be just like the best players, but that doesn't happen because there's so many different teams that want the best players that they're willing to pay them and make better deals and stuff. Yeah, I mean, so, you could probably have someone like centrally like evaluate like the skill of a cuber mm-hmm. and give them a score that essentially equates to how much theoretical money you have to pay them. It's almost like fantasy cubing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that didn't work out. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, um, and that was all just sort of stuff with like one event relays. Yeah. What about multi-event relays? Does that add anything to the to the equation? So different people. You need to find a team of different people who specialize in different things. Does that make it at all any better? Incrementally, but I don't think so. Just because. I mean, sure. You you have this kind of problem where you have to fit the pieces together. So, like, feel for example, Felix or Max, they can't solve every puzzle. Right. Um, you have to put them on two puzzles, but generally you're just going to put them on the two longest puzzles because that's where they make the biggest impact. Yeah, it's kind of like the um, at Nationals, the Dream Team versus Max yeah. thing. Right, I mean, it's like, it didn't matter who they put on two by two at all. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> literally, I mean, Chris is a great two by two solver, but it he, you could have put anybody who's like under three <laughs> seconds and it would not have made a difference. It, it, it's a little bit better in that, um, you know, you have to kind of like build a team in a slightly more interesting way. But once the team is built, like you're still picking the best combination you can get out mm-hmm. of the people available. And I, it, it seems just like a marginal improvement, but it still isn't great. So what if you took out the competitive like head to head aspect 
and made it more of a thing where it's like every worlds or something we assemble a team of cubers and just see if they can beat the world the world record for for this team event and and so instead of competing against another team they're always just competing against all the past teams yeah i guess it becomes interesting from like a record perspective at that case but um, mm-hmm. At the same time, how is that different from the fact that you've already assembled the best cubers in all these different events in one place, and you're going to see if they can be the best yeah. in that specific event, which, you know, you could sum up the parts however you want. Like, <laughs> I mean, you could have already theoretically tracked this by just seeing what, like, the, the sum of all the winning two through seven averages is, and you could say, like, well, this is, like, the two through seven relay of every world championship and you can you know see at what competition did they have the best two through seven quote-unquote relay so i don't see how that's really any better all right so now we're getting into some of the things where having a team dynamic actually changes the event okay um i think one of the most common ones that a lot of people will have done is team blind yes and that's something i think would be super interesting to have as an event i do too but at the same time, I feel like, like, would is this still going to be a thing where just the best people are going to be the best at it? Um, like, how much does the team dynamic matter in Team Blind? Well, so here's one thing that the, what, the, what I think would make the event more interesting is if we required in a competition that the solver and caller, those roles, both team members had to play both roles. So, like, you have to switch off. Yes. So I was thinking a way that could make it interesting is the person doing the solve isn't allowed to know how to solve a cube. No, I'm just kidding. Well, um, <laughs> that's been that's been done before as mystery events and competitions. Yeah, it has. Um, but yeah, that would be interesting. So they both have to be good at both roles. So right. So you have to. Then it doesn't necessarily because like you can't pick the best caller and the best solver at the same time. Like right. Both members have to get good at calling, and there's. I mean, it, it helps a little bit in making sure that, you know, there has to be some reverse synergy going both ways. Yeah, and it's also more interesting because you can't be good at uh, team blind if you don't, like, work out a calling system with someone. Right. So there is actually a team dy- dynamic where you would have to practice as a team to get better yeah. at it. Although which I, I like that it adds that. If it did become an official event, I'd imagine there would be, like, the spefs of team blind in that... Maybe. Like, there would become almost a... I... I I wonder if it becomes yeah, an event that, like, actually. this people would probably define a universal calling system. And yeah, I right. imagine some teams might come up with little ticks and t- tri- like little tips and tricks for like cool efficiencies that they do in calling. I guess, I guess it would have to be method specific too. So like, true, yes. solvers would have to come up with a different mm. calling scheme. Yeah, <laughs> that that would become interesting. Like what the method battle in in terms of team blind that like yeah would rue have advantages <laughs> i'm not sure I, I, I do feel like it would at least add a little bit of like you need to practice as a team to get gain some competence yes um so yeah, i it, feel like that helps a little bit yeah it definitely helps and yeah it makes sure that like the players actually have to practice like yeah. like team the team members need to actually practice together because i mean even if you have say like if two teams have the same codes if you switch two people there's still going to be bumps. At least I would envision there would still be some learning. Yeah, it's probably hard to 
like there's probably everyone has little quirks and little things they do differently right yeah exactly like i'd imagine i mean it would probably not take too long to get used to a new teammate who uses a roughly similar calling system but it would you know it's it's non-trivial and i think that's what would make it a pretty cool and interesting event yeah and i gotta say i would love to have team blind added yeah um and i don't know how like the record keeping would work but yeah and that's why i think it would be um interesting to hold it as an event where you're forced to do calling and solving Mm -hmm. so we don't have to distinguish like a calling and like who is caller and solver essentially so would that mean that like every single time you're doing two solves uh, it's yeah, like a combined time? Yeah, I'm not sure if it would be, like, my thought is that we'd come up with a new format, like, average of four or average of six or something. Mm-hmm. But then how would singles be recorded, if they are? Yeah, I, I mean, I imagine if singles are recorded, then, you know, they would be a single. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, one person was the solver, one person was the caller. All right, so we've also got um, sort of a similar idea, but this is probably way too niche to actually be like a good event and it's not spectator friendly or anything team fmc yeah so that definitely definitely fits the synergy because there's so many aspects and like to fmc yeah. I-, I feel like it's better than team blind in that like fmcers have very different styles mm-hmm. and everyone has very different strengths and it's not i don't think there it could be a universally good system for team fmc you'd have to work it out every single time yes but um it does yeah it literally has no spectator interest yeah, no spectator interest. It's such a niche thing that you wouldn't get too many people wanting to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that would be... I think that's fun to do, but I don't think it's worth being an official event. Right. Like, I, yeah, I, I agree. Th- I think it's definitely fun, though. Yeah. And I could see I could see it being a fun, unofficial event at a competition, mm-hmm. but I don't see any like purpose in keeping it tracked. Now there's this thing that people have been doing recently, which is Rob's Challenge. Yeah. Rob Challenge. I've been wanting to bring this up because this has been something I've been thinking about in terms of synergy this whole time. And Yeah. I I still kind of feel, though, that Rob's Challenge, like, the best people in the world will still just be the best at it because it's really just dividing up, except for FMC again, because it's really just dividing up a solve into smaller parts and just whoever can do those small parts the fastest mm-hmm. is going to be better. Yeah, I mean, I can see, though, for, like, big cubes. Oh, and wait, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, Rob's challenge oh, yeah. is <laughs> having, uh, the classic one is having two people solve three cubes in the shortest amount of time, mm-hmm. and the way you might do that is, like, maybe one person does, like, cross and a few F12 pairs on one, and then they start solving the other, and the other person solves the first one and finishes the other one. That's yep. That way you, like, and you try to basically make it so that you both finish at the same time. There are also, like, other combinations, like, you can do, like, more people with more cubes, but the idea is you can't just assign, like, one cube per person or two cubes per person. Right, that would be much more inefficient compared to splitting a cube up in some way. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, the the two cubers, three cubes, basically, if you pick two numbers that aren't divisible by by each other, um, you, you force an interesting challenge where, assuming that you have two equally skilled uh, competitors simply just picking up the cube that you're working with and like just going one cube at a time is going to be inefficient right yeah walker actually came up with a some kind of formula for figuring out the number of cubes you should use for different amounts of people to make it like as uneven as possible (laughs) um but yeah so that's what we're talking about here yeah and so yeah i think that um for big cubes it could be more interesting because um for example when you look at like Kevin Hayes versus Max Park, Kevin's centers on seven by seven are better than Max's, 
and Max's edges are way better than Kevin's. So that, like, when you have, like, different sub-steps of the solve that are, you know, varying in skill, it could be that somehow the, the sum is greater than the parts. Um, yeah. Because you could do that third puzzle very fast together. Mm-hmm. Faster than, say, two balanced competitors are. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So like one person does a lot of their cube and leaves the part they're bad at for the other person to do. Right, which means you're getting through... Like, if you have equal skill to a balanced team of two people, you're going to get through that third cube faster than the two balanced people will get through that third cube. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. So there is a little bit of uh, tolerance there where it may not necessarily be the two fastest people, but it's pretty negligible. All right. Are you ready for my last idea? All right. It's a bit of a wild card. All right. Let's do it. So we, we're trying to like come up with a way to make it more like other sports. So we're trying to make it more spectator-friendly, have more of a team dynamic, that kind of thing. So you're saying we play football, but we instead of a football, we just use a Rubik's Cube. Well, actually, I was thinking more along the lines of dodgeball, but you're like trying to knock the cubes out of people's hands. Okay. You'd watch that, right? <laughs> I mean, that sounds interesting. So we're throwing cubes at each other? Yeah, so you got, like, one cube per team, like a big cube or something. Okay. And, like, if you get hit with the dodgeball while you're holding the cube, you I don't know, there's, like, some kind of time penalty or something. So, like, you're, like, throwing the cube back and forth between your team while trying to dodge the other team's dodgeballs and trying to throw dodgeballs at them. <laughs> Man. Um, so this kind of reminds me, have you ever been to SkillCon before? No, but I've seen a lot of the crazy things they do there. Okay, so this kind of reminds me of Dodge Juggle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, where you basically have dodgeballs, but the point <laughs> is not to, like, hit the people. It's to prevent people from juggling. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you play dodgeball, but, like, you have jugglers on the team who aren't throwing dodgeballs. They're just juggling. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and you win not by, like, eliminating people in the traditional dodgeball sense, but by preventing the other others from juggling. So, like, you can hit them to distract them, or you can try to hit one of, like, their clubs. Hmm. So that, like, they have to stop their juggle because, like, it just gets clubbed, like, across the the, <laughs> the gym. So it, this kind of reminds me of that. Yeah, it, it, that was sort of the idea I had in mind. When I was like, I was like, how can we make it, like, a fun spectator sport that's also, like, you really need a good team? And the, mm. the best answer was to just make it way more like a normal sport. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay, so here's another way you could do this. So you play a game of dodgeball, but you don't win, or you you add like a second can win condition. So like you can win the dodgeball game by playing normal dodgeball, mm-hmm. where like you throw dodgeballs and get the other team out. But another goal of the game is uh, to solve like X Rubik's cubes. <laughs> so so then like the I would imagine that the meadow would like evolve over time. So it's like. It's like now everyone focuses on solving cubes, but then somebody like breaks the mold and starts just getting everyone out. And like, right? So like you can you can um, you have some people who are probably dedicated to solving Rubik's cubes, but you want to like get some people out on the other team too. <laughs> and like you probably have to make this a pretty high number of Rubik's cubes to make the dodgeball worth it. Yeah, 
Maybe you have like, like you could have like meat shields on your team who their entire goal is just jump in front of the ball to save their Rubik's Cube. Right, like, <laughs> like maybe you just build a wall around one person who solves <laughs> cubes. I don't know. That would be really um, interesting. We gotta we yeah. have to organize some kind of competition <laughs> like this. I would well, love to skill, do that. Skill con might be the best way place to do this because <laughs> they do dodge juggle already. I've also seen them do like battle juggling or something, right? Where you, it's just like two people juggling. Oh yeah, com- and combat juggling. Yeah, yeah. Where <laughs> like it's yeah, you it's club juggling, but you can also like use your clubs to like whack the other person's clubs yeah. out of the way. <laughs> I don't know. That would actually be really interesting, and maybe I should talk to the Skillcon people and see. That would be, be so in- cool. <laughs> it's also kind of like I don't remember what it, it's like. That old video of like Bob Burden like boxing. Who was he boxing? James Hildreth. I was about to oh, bring right. that up too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and this was also like tiny James Hildreth when he yeah. was like fourteen, <laughs> which makes it even more hilarious. But yeah, that, that I br- I was gonna bring that up too because it basically sounds like that where you're trying to solve a cube but also trying to like you know beat the crap out of each other <laughs> i'm really excited about this possibility yeah. <laughs> I, I think yeah, cause, like, so that seems like the best solution <laughs> yeah just let's make dodgeball cubing a sport <laughs> so wait wait so okay i really want to talk about how you would we would do this now too all right all right let's talk um, rules <laughs> okay because well there's the idea of like where you have two win conditions one you win the game of dodgeball or two you solve a certain number of cubes yes the thing is i don't know how many cubes is enough yeah that's the sort of thing you'd have to experiment with and really balance right. because like you know you could say like 20 cubes per team well, or something wait, what if what if there's like a goal of cubes to get but those teams have like if you solve a cube and then the other team solves a cube you both have zero so like every time like every point you get above zero you have to get the mm. other team back down to zero before you can count back Ooh, count your I like score this idea up. let let me let me let me tweak this though okay when let's how about when if you hit somebody you get to run over to the other side and scramble one of their solved cubes. yeah <laughs> Or maybe there will be, like, special judges or something who are always waiting to just scramble cubes. So you have to, like, when you solve a cube, you set it down on the table or something. And if you hit someone, it's like, ding, and then one of the cubes gets scrambled. And yeah, yeah, that, that could work, too. Yeah, so, like, nobody ever gets out in this game, but the yeah. goal is to, like, to eventually solve all of the cubes. Mm-hmm. But, like, every dodgeball hit that you get means that they lose one of the solved cubes. Yeah, so that way you don't have to, like, worry about balancing it as long as it's fair, as long as both teams have the same number of cubes to solve. And there's still the dynamic between trying to hit the other team and trying to solve your own cubes. Yeah, that could be interesting. It would be, that would be really tough to, like, referee. I feel like if, like, a lot of dodgeballs are flying, it could be really (laughs) hard to track, like, how many hits you get. If two people throw at the same person at the same time, like does that count as like two hits? Yeah, um, I because guess nobody gets like, out in this. Yeah, like I, I don't know if it would be that much harder to referee than normal dodgeball. Like, how big of teams mm-hmm. were you thinking? I was thinking like three or four. Yeah, the only experience I have with dodgeball was I did, was it, like played ultimate dodgeball for a little mm-hmm. bit, which is like the trampolines. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah, that's fun. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> and yeah, I think they had like two or three balls. And like five or six people on each team. Okay. And then, then like a big part of the strategy too is like it's like if you can get all the balls on your side, you can control the flow of the game. Mm-hmm. But in this in this game, you can't. It's not like normal dodgeball because if you just are holding the balls, the other team is solving their cubes. 
So right. Yeah, I feel like it adds a really interesting dynamic. Huh. This is so cool. All right, I'm definitely emailing the SkillCon organizers about <laughs> trying to set this up. All right, so you or you email the SkillCon organizers. I'll email Tillamook. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is so cool. This is so cool. All right, I, we'll we'll come up with a better rule set for this down the road. But yeah. Um, considering they do like weird crossovers of, of these sports like the other thing too is that they have like tr- like pro dodgeballers there mm-hmm. or maybe not pro but like they have like people who like are super enthusiastic about dodgeball there so you're saying we could like, like recruit good. some of them on our well, no, teams no that's what i'm saying is that we could get dodgeballers like people who are good at dodgeball and then people who are good at cubing to make these teams at skillcon yeah <laughs> Like that's what I'm like would be really like cool to. I like, wonder make how that would work crossovers. Because then wouldn't you just like target the cubers every time as you're throwing your? I mean, generally, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it it kind of starts to turn into like how they do dodge juggle, where you have jugglers and dodgeballers. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe one of the other things too is say like you have a certain number of cubes, and say like you're solving one, and let's say this is now turning into more like multi-blind, where like. <laughs> Whoa, that's a whole new level of concentration well, added to this multi- sport. No, no, no. Multi-blind scoring. It's like multi-blind oh, okay. scoring. Where um, you don't get to pick the number of cubes, but you like each team has the same number of cubes. And you're trying uh, to solve as many of those as possible. But the way you can fail is if in the middle of a cube that you're solving, you get hit by a dodgeball, that cube remains unsolved. Okay, so you have to like really balance out when you go for the cube. And that could also add a little right. bit of like, if you can manage to sneak over to the table where you pick up the cubes and like mm-hmm. have someone not notice that you're holding one. Like doing like a one-handed behind the back with like a dodgeball in your hand or yeah, something. Yeah, so, so it looks like you're totally <laughs> on the offensive, but really. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, Man, and then team composition could be such a huge part of this because it probably would be good. Like if you get a team with all cubers versus a team with a few really good dodgeballers, the team with the good dodgeballers is going to win, even though they're not going to be as efficient at solving their cubes. Right. So like coming up with a good team composition would be really interesting. Cause if you get good dodgeballers, right. they can protect the cubers by like hold, like if you grab and hold the ball and dodgeball, it doesn't like it gets the other yeah. person out. No, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to like that. This is a format because it really emphasizes both cube solving and dodgeballing because if you have quick solvers then you don't have much time to get them and like invalidate cubes Mm -hmm. but you also want you know good dodgeballers to like you know be meat shields and also be able to get other people out on the other side yeah like it's it yeah it really forces you to have people good at both skills which would be awesome to put together at skill con yeah that uh, yeah this is the format i'm gonna definitely (laughs) the format i'm gonna propose to them and you, you could call it dodge cube. It's like dodge yeah. ball, but with a cube instead of a ball. We're not going to throw Wait, cubes at each other. No. But can, <laughs> we get, can we get dodge balls in the shape of cubes? That would be funny. <laughs> you could get like those little uh, like foam Rubik's Cube things. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine those wouldn't fly. I mean, actually, I mean, really nothing in the shape of a cube is going to fly <laughs> well, but. But um, like, you know, for the thematic purposes, you need it. <laughs> Yeah, for sure, for sure. God, can you imagine like how they bounce too? It's yeah, like, that, oh man, like, you could like try to like combo off people and like get it to bounce at weird angles and hit multiple. Well, I mean, people it'd be so unpredictable. Like, <laughs> it, there'd be no good way to predict how it would bounce. Yeah, oh, that's so great. 
Oh, I'm so excited about this. I, I hope they have something open in their schedule for us to try this out. Yeah. If you manage to get them to do that, I'm totally coming so that I can play this. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, I mean, were you planning on going to SkillCon at all, or? Uh, when is it? I, I don't uh, even, I wasn't even aware of, like, when it is or anything. Uh, it's December 15th to 17th? No, 14th to 16th. Okay, I might be able to make that work. I'd have to see when like my finals and stuff are. <laughs> yeah, it's the week after my finals, so I think, I'm. All, I, I'm I think always it is clear. for me too, but it might be the weekend before. Ooh, okay. It has an FMC meme too, so. It's hmm. a good reason. <laughs> you know, FMC mean dodge, <laughs> dodge cube. cube. <laughs> you know, gotta weigh your priorities here. So Andrew, I got an interesting reg of the day. You know, in the past we've done some regs that are old. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't exist anymore. This is an this is a current reg, but it's an artifact of the past, which okay. I find interesting. The regulation is one C ten. One C is a regulation that defines what a delegate's role is. Essentially, it has a bunch of different things that basically says what the delegate is responsible for. Um, and one C ten is interesting because this is something that literally I don't think anybody does anymore. But when I started cubing, they did. 1C says, of course, the WCA delegate is res- for a competition is responsible for, and then lists all these things. 1C10 says, making a copy of the WCA regulations available at the competition. This literally happened when I started cubing. Like, there was always a binder with the regulations there. And it- it's because this was not the smartphone era. Yeah. You know, we literally had binders of regulations. And um, when I started cubing back up again in 2013, you know, this was now the everybody has a smartphone time. Like, mm-hmm. we're at least a couple years into that. And I remember Sarah Strong, I can't remember what competition it was, but she brought a binder of the regulations with her. And I was like, wait, we need this? <laughs> I was like, why do we need a binder? It's like, well, the regulations say you need to make a copy available. <laughs> uh, but I guess now, technically, like, you could... If you can just, like, if somebody wants the regulations, just, like, give them your phone with the regs on it, so... Right, yeah, no, you're still... Yeah, it's not that I'm saying we're not following the regulation, but I find it interesting that the regulation still today specifies that we need to make a copy available, because this was important when you couldn't just pull a phone out of your pocket and pull the regulations up in, you know, 20 seconds. Mm -hmm. Um, It was actually important so that you could make decisions at the competition that you had a copy of the regulations to refer to. Right. And it's it's funny to think about how we don't even really need to do this anymore because we can just look it up on our smartphones. But I definitely remember my very first competitions in 2008 had a copy available at all times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's not too much else to say about that, but I thought it was kind of an interesting artifact in the regulations that kind of shows their age mm-hmm. and went from when they were originally written. And clearly they were written, you know, 15, 16 years ago. Yeah. Or, yeah, five, four, well, about 15 years ago, yeah. If they got rid of that regulation, do you think it would ever cause any problems? No, I don't think so at all. I mean, unless maybe if you're in a, a country that doesn't have as good of like a cell phone access, but that's mm-hmm. becoming pretty rare now. Maybe it's just the wording that sounds funny, but, you know, having, I think it's important to make sure that like the, in some capacity that the delegate is able to refer to the regulations and be able to show the regulations to someone when making a decision, if that's necessary. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of the way it's worded uh, is kind of funny in how it's making a copy available, Yeah, (laughs) which, you know, 
literally is like it sounds like a printed copy yeah <laughs> so i mean no i don't think things will change drastically if you remove that simply because everything is so accessible at your fingertips now but i think it is important you know for when you know if you're having a competition you know maybe on top of a mountain or uh hmm. <laughs> i don't know maybe if i literally had this competition inside yellowstone national park rather than just outside of it you know maybe it would have uh been a good consideration for me to actually make sure that i had a printed copy mm-hmm. for sure yeah so i yeah even though it's kind of silly some sort of regulation to make sure that you can refer to regulations as necessary is probably a a good idea if yeah that's probably a a better way to word the regulation for the modern day probably yeah but probably a low priority too as well there's plenty of other regulations that need changing all the time Mm -hmm. so (laughs) (laughs) it gets the point across just in a very 2003-esque way yeah (laughs) it kind of reminds me of how like I don't know, with, like, the Constitution and stuff and, like, all these old documents, we have to, like, figure out new ways to interpret them in the modern day, mm-hmm. especially with, like, rights to, like, privacy and whatnot. It's, like, mm-hmm. and copyright and that kind of thing, because now making a copy of something is so different from what making a copy used to be. Oh, and that the, the, those sorts of debates come up with, um, like, gun laws all the time as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. How things were envisioned then compared to today. You know, what did they envision? I mean, and that's... You know why the regulations for the WCA two are always ever changing? Mm-hmm. Uh, because puzzles change. I mean, when the puzzle regulations were first written, they didn't envision stickerless puzzles. Right. Yeah. You and know. Then when <laughs> and then they they realized existed. <laughs> yeah. And then st- they just started to exist and realized, well, by the wording of this regulation, they're banned. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I don't think this regulation making a copy available is uh, really, you know, going to be misinterpreted or have, like, unintended consequences <laughs> or anything like that. Just a little funny in how it's specified. We don't have any homework. No. Well, I kind of we do. We have to send oh, some emails. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> What if we could get Tillamook to sponsor Skillcon and call it Skillamook? Sk- 